Great. So we are continuing our series in Mark uh, today, and um, I'm very, very excited. It's quite an interesting passage, but I know that God wants to uh, speak to us in that. So Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 14 to 29. If you're here for the first time, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen, but if you do have a Bible on your phone or um, else on paper, uh, I would love you to turn across there. And I've titled it, Questions, Doubts, and Living for Jesus. You see, wherever we are on the journey of faith, each of us will have times in our lives when things don't seem to make sense. Life is not going according to the plan that we had for our lives. Now, for the person here who maybe you're exploring faith, you would say, I don't believe in God yet. And I'd say yet because I, I believe that's coming soon if you're through these doors. Um, but it's in these times where maybe for the first time you suddenly realize, actually, maybe I do need supernatural help. It's often in times of crisis, which is the only time that many people actually turn to a God that before that they said didn't exist. But suddenly in crisis, go, actually, no, but if there is a God, I really want his help. So maybe for the first time, um, you'll be in that place. But if you're in, um, and if you're in that place, keep exploring. That's my encouragement to you. We're full of people here on different journeys of faith. But if you're here and you don't have a faith in Christ, you keep exploring. God's promise to you is that when you seek him with all your heart, you find him. And you can always trust him on that promise. For some of you here today, though, it may feel as though you are pursuing Jesus, that you are putting him first, and yet it feels like you're in the hardest moments of your life, or maybe in your darkest hour, or maybe you're talking to him and it genuinely feels like it's a brick wall. It genuinely feels like, God, I'm talking. I'm talking to you, I'm praying, but actually it just feels like there is silence on the other end of the line. It could be that you're facing some level of suffering and it feels as though um, he just isn't there. It could be that you've been expecting God to come through in a certain way in your life and it hasn't happened. You've been waiting, you've been asking for help, and it hasn't happened in that sense. It feels like you've done the right thing, but things appear to be getting worse than better. It feels like you're following him more wholeheartedly, but actually things are getting tougher. And maybe you're feeling as a result disillusioned, or maybe our minds are full of questions, and peace is really hard to come by. What do we do in those situations? What do we do when it feels like God's distance and it feels like life is not how it should be happening? And today we're going to dive right into a person who lived out that same sort of story. So if you're going, is this only me? Does it all go well for other people who follow Jesus? Does life go well when you turn to Christ? Well, actually, we're going to look at someone who probably identifies with you and if you're in a difficult place. It's a sad story in one sense, but it's also an eternally purposeful one on the other. And there's always something Jesus wants us to talk through, and he wants to teach us through his word. And that's the beauty of preaching through books of the Bible is that we preach on the things that we enjoy and the things that we don't. We preach on the whole counsel of God. We don't cherry pick what we like because we're going through an entire story of what God is doing. And so, friends, this is the world we live in. We're going to see today there's beauty, but it's in the midst of brokenness. We're never going to see heaven on earth. We're going to experience wonderful sparks of heaven. And we see that amongst us at Hope Church and at other places. We see these wonderful sparks of God healing or restoring relationships or people coming to faith, being baptized. Moments of intense beauty, just like this morning when God's presence is just thicker in the room than usual. But it's never going to be permanently sustained because that's heaven. Heaven is perfection outside of brokenness. That's reserved for the world to come. That's our ultimate destination. That's our home. But man, we long for heaven and we long for parts of heaven now. So we're going to pick up the story. It's on the back of Jesus and his followers doing some powerful works. People's lives are getting changed. People are getting set free. 
from a demon possession. People are getting healed and there's just miraculous work happening and Jesus' name is sort of growing throughout the area. And so this is what it says in Matthew 6 verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, no, he's Elijah. And others, don't worry if you don't know the names, I'll explain them. Others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, meaning John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, he must have been raised. For those of you who aren't familiar with the names, here's a brief one. So King Herod, um, his full name was Herod Antipas. He was the seventh son of King Herod or Herod the Great, not actually a king. He was a tetrarch, so another name for a governor. The Romans had governors in different areas, and so he governed over Galilee where Jesus was operating and Perea as well. Um, and he wasn't actually technically a king. He liked to be called that. But he wasn't actually. Gave him a sense of, uh, of power. Um, but I'm sure he enjoyed his friends and contemporaries calling him a king. He lost his position of power in AD 39 while trying to gain complete power over the whole area. So that's a bit of King Herod. What about John the Baptist? Some of you may have heard of him or might not have. But John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And they were very close in age. They would have grown up together. Their families would have spent time together. They would have had meals and played and those sorts of things. They're very close. John was about six months older than Jesus. He was passionate about the things of God. And when he was about 30 years old, about six months before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he began to tell people, anyone who would listen, that there was somebody coming who they needed to be ready for. There was the Messiah, the promised one that the Jewish people have heard about. Someone who would come, the Messiah word meaning to, to sort of um, help people uh, usher in a new kingdom. That's what, that's what he spoke, um, spoke about, the promised deliverer of the Jewish people. And he lived in the wilderness. He's a bit of a wild cousin. Uh, he, he, he had clothes of camel hair. He ate locusts. He ate wild honey. But people came out to listen to him because there was something in what he said that they were after. They were after what he was speaking about. And so what he did is uh, he then baptized people. Baptism is a symbol of us dying to our old way of life. We go underwater, die to our old way of life, and we're raised to a new way of life. And so he was getting people to do that, and they were repenting of their old ways of living. They were wanting to follow God's ways, and they were preparing themselves for a Messiah. If any of you haven't been baptized here yet today, we decided we wouldn't do it in winter because some people might be scared. But uh, we'll do it in September. I'm excited. If you've never been baptized, um, it, it will be astounding what God does in your life when you get baptized. You might think, oh, it's just something else. It's just a symbol. No, actually, it's a supernatural symbol. And God will do something in your life when you get baptized. So if you've never been baptized, you can start signing up. We'll do that in September. But uh, anyway, he was doing this. People were following him and uh, his teachings. That's a little bit about John the Baptist. But sadly, we see in the introduction that he's been executed. So we the introduction of this story. He's been executed by Herod. We're going to find out shortly uh, why that happened. But before that, I want to draw out something of the character of John. You see, people had different perspectives on who Jesus was. As we saw there, some thought Jesus was a prophet. Uh, Elijah was a prophet of old. Some thought he was, he was coming back in that form. They had different perspectives. But notice how Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, who he had recently killed, raised from the dead. Now, why do I say that that's so interesting? It's because when Herod heard what Jesus was doing in the world, he immediately thought, hmm, that sounds exactly like somebody I knew who I killed. That sounds like John the Baptist. That's how John lived. 
That's kind of the things John was doing. That's the following that John had. This must be a new reincarnated John who's come back to haunt me, as it were, or who's come back into this world. He was sort of saying, what I'm hearing of reports of Jesus, I know a man who lived just like that. That was John's heart. So my question to each of us today in the small little cameos, how close are our lives to that of Christ? Would people be able to say as they read scripture, like Herod thought of John the Baptist, will they be able to say, mm, Johnny over there or, or uh, Juliet? Yeah, they're not perfect. But when I read scripture and what it says a Christian is, a little Christ, man, actually that person looks so similar to what I read in scripture. Is how people could say of us. Could they say it of me? Could they say that of you? Are our lives an advert of what the word Christian means, little Christ's? Are people able to pick up a Bible and look at our lives if we call ourselves Christ followers and say, man, that person is a mirror of what I see there. The great challenge for each of us. That was John's life. It's a challenge for each of us because our world is in desperate need of an example of who Jesus is. And there is that saying that says often we're the first Bibles people read and it's true. Our lives speak volumes for people coming to faith. Verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. So now we see why John landed in prison in the first place. First, notice how it says John had been saying to Herod, how had this wild man of God found an audience with the governor of the, of the region. How had that happened? This wild man living out in the bush somehow had an audience and had been able to speak to Herod. How had that happened? Friends, when you live sold out for Jesus, he will open doors for your life to share your faith in the most miraculous of ways. When you're prepared to live sold out, he will open the doors for you to share that. So be ready and open. Every door that the Lord opens into areas of society for you, is a chance to display Christ. It might be political. Maybe some of you have relationships with people in politics. God will open the door for you to share. Maybe some of you here will have opportunities to share with our president the gospel that changes lives. If you get that opportunity, go for it. Maybe people in economic power, maybe famous people. When opportunities arise, as it did with John the Baptist, he took that chance. He shared with the governor, the one who called himself a king, he shared faith. So be expectant. I'd love to see that, that people at Hope Church are having these conversations with people with amazing influence. Why? Because God supernaturally opens the door. See, we live in a world that's constantly moving away from biblical truth. Just as was the case for Herod and Herodias, there are many in our world and sadly in church circles where the kind of marriage and, and following godly principles just it doesn't really matter anymore. See, that's why John was put in prison and ultimately executed because he challenged Herod and Herod's wife, Herodias, why have you guys split with your spouses and decided to get married together? Why have you guys done that? It's blatantly against what God says, but why have you chosen to go against it? You've broken up two other marriages. Now you're joining together. Those people are still alive. And that is why he was ultimately executed because they could not handle him speaking the truth into their lives. Can I tell you that increasingly, if we're gonna be biblical, if we're gonna live out a biblical faith, there's going to be opposition. It's going to happen. As our world and society moves further and further away from the things of God, by you looking at scripture and reading it out and just sharing that with friends, even if it's in a loving way, there's going to be opposition. It happened to John and there will be opposition for us. And I can see that. 
the things that our parents had to deal with in schools and, and in cultures very different to what they have to deal with now. The train of sexuality is changing. The train of God's creative work in the world is changing. Can I challenge each of you? Let's stand for the truth, no matter how hard it is. Stand for the truth in love. We're never called to be arrogant, but let's stand for the truth. God will always honor when we stand for what's right. And I also say, if you've struggled in any of these areas, maybe you're in that position that Herod and Herodias were in, maybe relationally there's complications in your life. Can I tell you the encouragement for you is that God is so full of grace. Many of you have made those decisions in the past and you're going, but, but can I be accepted in church circles? Can I be accepted because of those sorts of things? You can. He loves you. He forgives you. He's got a plan for your life and he asks you to live sold out for him now. But don't compromise. Don't compromise on his word. There'll always be something in your heart that just goes, I just can't quite get close to him. I can't quite live for him. And it's those moments when we make a stand for him that's difficult, that's hard, that it unlocks something powerful in our life. So be encouraged. He loves you. He forgives. He's full of grace, but he challenges us to live the right way. We also see that when you stand up for what's right, as I've just shared, there's opposition. John was arrested and ultimately killed because he stood up for the truth of God's word. The apostle Paul said, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's spiritual. When we decide to follow Jesus, we join the battle. And as I shared at the beginning with all the things happening, there's a real enemy, Satan, and he's dead set on people not knowing the love and truth of Christ. And so if we start to share that, there's most definitely opposition to how that happens. I don't think life should always be hard as Christ follows. God's a good father. He provides, he blesses his kids. It's amazing. It's encouraging. But if you're feeling like life at the moment is just absolute plain sailing, nothing's going wrong. It's just perfect. Everything is going amazingly. You do kind of need to ask yourself the question, am I actually standing out of my faith for Christ? Or am I just blending into society? Am I just looking the same as everybody else? Then there's no need for opposition because we look exactly the same. So we need to challenge ourselves in that area. We shouldn't fit into the flow of society because we're living for another world. Verse 20, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So he couldn't get killed initially because Herod actually kind of protected John, kept him in prison, didn't want to kill him straight away, although his wife wanted him to get killed. Uh, he sort of, there was something about John that Herod wanted to hear more about. So he was an interesting man. Although he didn't follow the Lord, he was yearning for more in his life. He wanted more. There was something that was missing. He couldn't quite put his finger on it, but he knew John had it. He knew John had the answer. He knew there was something different about John. He could sense that this man walked closely with God, that he was passionate about honoring the Lord. And this did something in Herod's heart. And as a result, he ensured he wasn't executed. And you see there that he kept listening to him. Imagine him going secretly when people weren't around down into the prison cell. Hey, John, let's talk. John, talk to me. You're still in prison, but tell me a bit about what you believe. And this is the picture of what happens when we're the fragrance of Christ in society. This is what happens when we don't isolate ourselves from society, but we're in the world and in society, but we're different. We shine for Christ. It's what happens when we're real and honest about the issues in our lives. None of us are perfect. Quite often when I'm chatting to friends of mine who don't know Jesus, they're like, no, no, I sort out my life and then I'll come to church, you know. Uh, everything's going great for you, Craig, and other people at church. I'm like, no, 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 it's not. We come to church because we're broken. We're all broken here. We're all dealing with issues. That's why we're here, because Jesus is the only one who can sort those things. We're all on a journey. We have those conversations. 
but we shine. We explain to others that Jesus loves us through our issues and he helps us with them. And this is my prayer for us at Hope Church, those who call Hope Church home, but actually the whole body of Christ in our city, that our friends, work colleagues, and acquaintances who don't yet know Jesus, they would feel like Herod felt when they're around us. They would say, I I just need to have more of a conversation with that person. I need to be around them because there's something in what they say. There's something when I'm I'm with them at a braai, when I'm with them on the golf course, that, that I'm just yearning for something. It seems like they have it. I can't put my finger on it, but what is it? That's my prayer is that we would be John the Baptist in society. That our friends would truly be asking, what is it that's different in that person's speech? Why do they live for a different world? Why don't they care about the things that I care about? Why aren't they worried about success? Why don't they care about the latest next vehicle or their business growing to crazy heights? Why do they care about something else? People want to know what we're living for if we'll show them. And that's kind of how Herod was. He was going, it's strange, but it's enthralling. These people are kind of a bit weird, but I want to know why they're weird. I want to know what it's about. They're different, but it's attractive. That people would ask us more and we'd have the privilege of sharing the hope that we have in Jesus. Maybe that's what you're feeling today. And you've come here exploring faith. Maybe your friends invited you. Maybe you can't quite describe it, but you're just interested to find out more about Jesus. That's like Herod. And Jesus will show you more of himself today. Last little bit, but an opportunity, verse 21. An opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, leading men of Galilee. But when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. He vowed to her, whatever you ask, I'll give to you, up to half my kingdom. She went on and said to her mother, what should I ask? Herodias, Herod's wife, what should I ask for? She said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry because because of his oaths and his guests. He didn't want to break his word to her. Immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went, beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. So sadly, we see here that whilst Herod was drawn to God through John the Baptist, he wasn't prepared to make a decision to follow Jesus when there was a cost involved. He was more concerned about what people would think of him than the eternal joy of giving his life to God. So when push came to shove, he had John killed to save face amongst family and the elite of society. He was interested in God when it didn't hurt his status, but he wasn't prepared to give his heart to the Lord. Friends, there is a cost for standing up for the truth of Jesus. It might cost friendships, in some cases, family relationships, when some of your family don't believe in Christ. It might cost business relationships. It might cost success in the business world. There's a cost, and we need to count that cost. And John accounted that cost. He knew that was a possibility. He knew that when he started his ministry, that when he spoke to Herod about living the right way, to God's ways, that there was potential danger. But he was prepared to do it for the sake of Jesus. There's a saying that goes, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And Herod wasn't prepared to do the right thing. Will you and I be good men and women who do something in life's tough situations? When there's a choice to stand up for Jesus or not, will we stand? Uh, So pray Jesus gives us the courage to do that. So as we get to close in the last few minutes, I want us to think for a short moment on what was happening in John's heart in the prison cell before he died. Spoken about what happened to him, the stand he made, but what was he going through? 
What was he dealing through in that moment? Because we know that he clearly chatted to Herod about his faith. We know that from the story. But what else did he feel? What was John going through? What questions did he have in his mind? Well, we know that there was one. And we know this because he sent some of his followers to ask Jesus. There was something that was bugging John in prison. See, aside from being family and growing up together, John was the one who pointed people to Jesus. When he came and baptized Jesus, when he saw Jesus far off, he said, everybody, that's him. That's the one I've been talking about. The Lamb of God is here. When he baptized them, the Spirit came. The Father spoke audibly from heaven. It started and unleashed Jesus' ministry on earth. And so John had pointed everyone to Jesus. That's what he had done. This is God in the flesh. And he finally knew that this cousin of his was God. Sure, there would have been inklings. Sure, they would have maybe had some conversations. But this was the moment he was like, that's God in the flesh. My cousin is God in the flesh. I knew there was something different about him. I knew there were promises that my Auntie Mary said, that God had said to her and that angels had said to her. I've heard these stories, but now I know. My cousin isn't just an ordinary cousin. He is actually God in the flesh. But now stuck in prison, he was beginning to question it all. He was questioning everything he had stood for. Doubts were creeping in. If Jesus truly is the son of God, and if he's doing these astounding miracles, if my cousin is God in the flesh, why am I stuck in prison and not getting rescued? Why is my life turning out the way it's turning out? Surely we should be doing ministry together. This is my cousin. If he's God, he can easily rescue me from this mess. And surely he wants to as well. So why is it not happening? And so he had sent his followers to ask these questions. Look what they said. Luke uh, 7. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you God? I thought you were God. Are you actually God? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus hears it. He hears the questions from John's followers. In that hour, that very moment, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. On many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Does the work. Then he answers John's followers. Go and tell John what you have seen right now and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus listens to the messages. He shows them in that moment that he is the son of God. And then he sends them away with a message. If I was to read a little through the lines, what was Jesus saying to his cousin stuck in that prison cell? I would say this is what he was saying. John, you got it right. I am the son of God. I'm your cousin, but I'm the son of God. You didn't make a mistake. You fulfilled your mission that I called you to, preparing people's hearts for my arrival. You've run your race. I'm proud of you but please don't be offended that I'm not going to get you out of prison. Please don't be offended that your life is not ending the way you might have thought it would have ended. Don't be offended with me. I'm sure you've got questions, but I love you. That offended part, blessed is the one who's not offended. And never fear, I'm going to be seeing you soon. Your work may be done, but mine isn't yet. But you played a vital role. Be encouraged. And I'm going to see you soon beyond the grave. It's kind of what I think Jesus would have been saying to his cousin between that. The reason I feel that is because that was Jesus' heart. 
the minute John's disciples left, this is what he said to everyone around in Luke 7, 26. He says, what then did you guys go out to see? A prophet? Talking about John the Baptist's cousin. Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least, Jesus, in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Do you see the kind of love and honor Jesus had for his cousin? No one greater born of woman, more than a prophet, a messenger, the final messenger to prepare the way for me. Maybe for some of you here, I'm going to close with this, a feeling what John felt. Maybe you're feeling isolated and alone. Maybe you're feeling God has forgotten you. Somebody close, your heavenly father's forgotten you. Or that he doesn't understand what you're going through. Maybe you're questioning if Jesus is who he said he is. Can I encourage you, just as Jesus encouraged John, that he says to you today, I'm the miracle working God. I love you deeply. I'm with you in the storm. I might not remove you from what you're going through right now, but I will never leave you. And friends, our proof that Jesus loves us and will one day make everything right is the empty cross. That's the proof. No matter what you are going through now, no matter what promises you see are fulfilled in your life now or not in this lifetime, Jesus died for you and me. If we ever find ourselves questioning his love for us, look to the cross of Christ. If you ever wonder if you're good enough for God, look to the cross. He says, yes, you're good enough. That's why I died for you. If you ever feel isolated or alone, look to the bloodstained cross of love. If you ever feel your sin is too great, look to the cross of forgiveness. If you ever feel that Jesus has let you down, look to the cross of eternal life because he loves you and he's with you.